Hello again, everybody, and welcome to TLC Presents Conversations. We're thrilled to have you join us once again from your car, from your desk, from wherever you are, working out at the gym. Thanks for making time to hang out with us. We've got a really great guest today. I'm super excited. Everybody, give it up to the guy sitting next to me right now for Keith Agoda with Producers Market. Keith, welcome. Hey, Todd, thanks for having me today. It's absolutely a pleasure, brother. I appreciate you being here. I'm super excited to talk about Producers Market. I think what you guys are doing is extremely unique. I think it's extremely important. And I think the uh, our, our fans out here in the ethos and all the aliens watching us too, which is cool, um, I think they're going to dig what you have to say today. So if I if we can, maybe just give everybody a quick quick little shout out on, on Keith, who you are, and uh, give them a little quick background on you. And then I'm going to dive into the producer's market and what you guys got going on. Yeah, my name is Keith. Uh, I am from the United States, originally from Boston. And my journey in this sector of agriculture and food started when I was a student at University of Wisconsin. I was studying horticulture and working at the, uh, the botany school in the greenhouse there. And it was the middle of winter, uh, snowing in Wisconsin, and we were growing pineapples and succulents. It snows in Wisconsin? Just a little bit, yeah. Just a bit. And, and uh, it really sparked my imagination about how powerful greenhouses were and the opportunity to grow locally. I say, if, we're, right. if we have pineapples growing in the middle of winter in Wisconsin, then why can't we be growing food locally and connecting it locally uh, all year round? So that's that was kind of got my my imagination going and caught the bug. And for, for most of you who are in this industry, it's one of those things that once you get into food and ag, it's really hard to get out of it. Just drives you all day long and keeps your, your thinking going. So, so I started a, you know, a company in hydroponic greenhouses, Sky Vegetables back in the day, kind of one of the first uh, urban agriculture using uh, hydroponics in cities. And from there, got into uh, I exited out of that venture and got into uh, direct sourcing and uh, development of organic farms in Latin America. One thing led to another, and I was working for Unify and others, and and that's kind of what led me up to uh, starting Producers Market. But that's a, a quick background of the journey towards producers. Love it. So let's get into it, brother. I said one thing that you guys talk about, which when I found you guys and started reading about you and then we connected, um, you talk about transparency and trust from soil to sale. And it was like, all right, I'm in. Talk to me more about what you guys are up to. So what is Producers Market? Yeah, at its core, Producers Market is a network. It's a network of agricultural producers uh, and other forms of producers. And we say the word producers, we define it as the groups at the source who are adding value. So it could be the farmers, it could be the packers, the processors, it could be cooperatives, the associations. It's the groups that actually take the risk to create the physical products. And Producers Market is a digital network where each producer can build a profile within our network. And we're working to add in additional tools and build in a buyer network so that we can start facilitating direct transactions and trying to shift our industry from a kind of broker dominated spot sell, buy low, sell high, everyone's negotiating on price model to one that is for me way more sane and uh, way more trustworthy, which is about partnerships where mm -hmm. now buyers can work year after year with the same growers 
they can form stronger partnerships and work together to create greater consistency and return more money back to the growers. And ultimately, by building this type of connectivity and this type of model, there's a data flow that can now exist and reach the consumer. So finally, I believe a, a, a future is going to be upon us in the next, you know, three to five years where all the things in your produce aisle or in different parts of your supermarket, you can go in and find out who grew it, when it was picked, how the farmers are treated, how they treat their community, and this information will become available. Right. And, and right. that model, I think, becomes available by building a, a network based on relationships and partnerships. I love it. And, and. For clarity, this is a global platform, right? Because I want to get into that later. But I mean, this is so people understand. We're not just talking about what we're doing here in the States. We're talking about a global platform and uplifting small, independent, global producers um, and giving them a voice and a runway to help provide livelihoods to their families, to their villages, to their communities, whatever the case may be, which is what's got me so intrigued by this. So I got a, a bunch of questions. So we're going to get deep into this. I love this. I really do. Yeah. So what was, what was the impetus, you know, kind of the impetus for creating Producers Market? And one of the things that I know that you, that you listed and you talked about was that you guys are really kind of a decentralized model of sales. So what, what's the impetus for it? Yeah, the, the impetus was my frustration being in the industry and seeing how difficult it was for growers, especially internationally, but even domestically sometimes, especially international growers, whether it's your fresh produce items going fresh internationally, or even your, your coffee, cacao, you know, your other oils, olive oil, you name it. It's a similar issue where the moment a producer is looking to get more direct to the market, they find tons of obstacles and barriers right. there. There's language barriers, there's certification barriers, there's aggregation and scale barriers. And then there's the barriers of just procurement managers not having the bandwidth to go out there and figure out who the growers are on the ground. You know, most of the people I know that buy at, at the major, whether it's a distributor or a retailer or a CPG brand, they don't really have the bandwidth to be going out globally and building direct relationships. So they end up relying on, on brokers and traders, you know, right. and for a lot of this. And this isn't to disintermediate them or bash on them. There's a no. role for brokers to play here, but too often the actual information from the source doesn't make it through. So I I've been wearing my lens as a consumer wanting to know more about my products. So that right. was one of the impetus. And then the other one is just, you know, going and visiting co-ops and farmers, you know, in many, many countries for many years for my work and just seeing how frustrating it was for them to build these direct relationships globally for sales. And right. so we started Producers Market doing an avocado brand in Mexico, testing it out, saying, what if we built a story for this group of Mexican avocado farmers that were doing amazing practices, great impact, amazing product, yet nobody knew them outside of their village in Mexico, right? And all of their right. sales went through the big pack houses who then went to the big distributors and then the big retailers. And they would get a sticker on their avocado that's the same sticker as all their neighbors who aren't doing the same practices. So he said, what if we can find a way to make it really easy 
and low cost, if not no cost, for producers around the world to share their story. And so that was really the, the light bulb that went off for Producers Market. I love that. I love it. So how's it work? Well, uh, we're still figuring it out, you know. Uh, Aren't but, we all? <laughs> but, but we're getting closer each day. And what, right what we we'll do now is we have our producer profiles. We have a software tool we've built over the last four years where uh, agricultural producers can go in, register their profiles, and it gives them, it takes about 30, 45 minutes where they go through all their information, their story, their background, their certifications, um, you know, any awards they've won, photos, videos, images, their social media, their, their website, basically everything that makes them digitally and also offline. And by going through the process of filling in all this information, they can create a profile. Our team does the due diligence. We make sure that the information is legit. We get to know the producer and then we publish. And now they are live on producer's market. And they're live amongst a handful of other producers who also have a authentic story and authentic products. And, and we've grown that to 440 organizations now in, in over 60 countries, over 1200 products listed. And we've done this all so far grassroots just speaking to producers through our existing networks, through reaching out to their websites, through LinkedIn, you know, uh, soon we'll be going to expos and events and just getting to know them, understanding their pain points. And through that, building this profile model and marketplace where now buyers are starting to just naturally come in and looking for direct producers, whether it's because they want better pricing or because they know their customers, you know, want them to know the source. And so producers market as a uh, marketplace is really a B2B direct procurement connectivity network. Right. I love that. I mean, I think that is so cool to think about the, the, the amount of money that actually goes back out of every dollar that passes through the ag system that actually goes back to the farmers. I can't remember what the stat is from, I read from the USDA, but it's like less than a dime. 8.5 cents of every dollar. Yeah, like so eight, eight to nine cents per dollar. Yeah, actually goes back to the farm, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's amazing. A, yeah, exactly. And and it's not just not enough money goes back to the farmer. It's also that the farmers live in inconsistency. So they don't know what the market price is going to be this year. They don't know who the buyer is. Maybe it's the guy who shows up. Maybe, you know, there is a lot of harvest this year. And so it's also not just the final sale they're getting a small percent, but also the risk involved. So, yeah. so the risk factor is really high. The reward is really low. And so we're trying to build this kind of digital capacity for these right. producers to put their best foot forward to make it easy for them to connect with downstream buyers. Well, listen, you are never, you are never going to get me away from a conversation that has to do with uplifting farmers and producers <laughs> at all, because I think it's the one of the biggest priorities we need to embrace is that as this world keeps growing and all these people are coming, right? And, and it's going to be a bigger, bigger place and taking more and more resources. We have to be uplifting these farmers. We have to be finding alternative runways to be able to keep ourselves fed and clothed and everything else involved. So commendable. Let's get into it a little bit deeper though. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the value chain to producers market a bit. And, and can you talk about the term value chain with the stakeholders, the producers, the buyers, consumers, and how that's all connected? 
Great. So this is where the technology comes in. Right on. Because right now, if you think about it, the farmers have so much data being generated that's oftentimes not captured, or if it is captured, it's not shared. That right. data can be what goes into their farm, their inputs. It can be all of the environmental conditions as they're growing. And then it can be the information as how much harvest they have of what grades, of what size and when. And then into, you know, what are the different optionalities for when they can sell and to who and where and at what price. So all of this is actually built around transactions and transactions of data. So we think of transactions as monetary of money exchanging, and that's a big part of it because sure. money is going to the input suppliers. Money comes into them when they sell their product. Money goes out to people who sell them the boxes and so on. So a lot can be achieved just following the money and starting to build greater transparency of the source and greater understanding by seeing the transactions and by integrating contracts to then engage in those transactions. Right. Because a lot of the work done on the ground actually doesn't even involve transactions. Maybe it's emails, maybe it's texting, maybe it's phone calls. And so a lot of this information and data is not being captured. So that's one area of data capture. But then there's other areas that become very interesting, like the location when something is harvested or where it's processed or when it's picked up. So time is another one. And these different data points when organized and collected, can then create a more robust story. So these data layers can do several things. One, it can provide greater marketing insight, greater information to downstream buyers about what's happening on the farm, but also where we're really focused is on the data layers that can be organized and used for marketing communication to consumers. Because as a consumer, how great would it be to know or actually have access to this information of what is going on on the farm and how was it grown and what was used on the farm? And did the farmer actually make a fair trade wage or a fair wage? And, and then understanding when it was harvested and who right. harvested it and when it went through the chain. So what we're seeing is that you have your producers, you have groups that either aggregate the producers or distribute or buy from them or process or pack, either they're owning that process or it's third party owned. And from there, it goes in many directions, whether it's to another distributor, wholesaler, to a retailer, to a brand. And so what we wanna create is a very simple vertical data model where this type of data can be collected, organized for the benefit of the farmers with permission given to the downstream brands Right. So that they can add a QR code or an embed to their e-commerce site, and they can show directly to their consumers about the source, about the story, about the information. So for us, we have a value chain, which is basically the chain in which the value is created and moves across from the producer to the consumer, everyone in between. And how do we make it more simple? And how do we allow for that data to be organized and be visible to the end consumer. Right. That's really what we're looking about with this value chain and with the data that can be organized and used to create brand new marketing experiences that have literally never, never existed in our industry. And to achieve this in a 
super scalable model, not just like one or two products at Whole Foods, but everything at Walmart or everything at your local Safeway is going to have the full traceability and visibility available. Whether they do it, that's going to be up to each brand, each value chain. But in terms of bringing the cost down and bringing the actual ability to integrate that data into a unified value chain model with data, making it feasible and making it scalable. That's, I, that is absolutely fantastic. I think it's extremely timely in our world right now. Um, I think transparency, integrity, uh, opportunity to learn are things that people are looking at when it comes to food now. Um, and I think that, that what you guys are elevating is what I looked, what you had said, was talking about that story downstream to where a, a consumer can go in and literally vote with their dollars. You know, whether it is you're dealing with fair wages, child labor, GMO free, you know, whatever, empowering um, education, whatever it might be, to have that ability to make conscientious choices is what the food system needs to start to embrace if we want to be better and healthier and make this planet go. That's right. And, and if you look at the Gen Zs and millennial consumers, which of course, you know, is the new goldmine for, right. for marketers. Sure. They're very distrusting, yet they want to trust, right? right? And what they want to trust is sustainability, authenticity, you know, making a positive impact. That's what they want to trust. But they're really, you know, not into greenwashing. They're really not confident in what a brand will say. So how cool would it be to connect them into their media, which is digital technology, and give them the power to trust, right? For Based sure. on validated data points, storytelling information, and the ability to connect and share with their peers what they trust. Right. No, I, I, I think that's... You, you brought up an interesting point. And I think that this, this generation of consumers that is here now that is coming, um, I, I think we're going to learn a lot on the fly with these guys because it's a different mindset. They are a digital world. They're on their phones. Things are in front of them. It's fast. They go like this all the time. And um, I think something like this produces, Mark, what you're talking about, I think it's going to be something they're going to really gravitate towards and to because, again, they're going to vote with their dollars. They're right. conscientious enough now to vote with their dollars. That's right. And the reason why uh, now it's intentional at the beginning, it was kind of happened by accident, but by building producers market first, it allows us to gain the trust of the producers to have a network for them where we're bringing them authentic value. We're not trying to monetize them by joining our platform where they have a home. So as we add in these tools and make mm -hmm. these tools available to them, you know, they already know us, they trust us, they're registered in our ecosystem, you know, they're already a part of our network. So then as we build in the brands, the buyers, the downstream, it's easier for them to feel comfortable about like all of a sudden their data, which never even meant anything to them is now valuable and important. Well, the last thing they want to do is get ripped off, you know, or get taken advantage of with their data. So how great is it that we can offer them a way to commercialize their data for marketing and other purposes that will just benefit them benefit right their ability to gain a premium to sell to more channels to reach new markets um, and differentiate their practices and, and what makes them unique right that's super cool <clears throat> tell me a little bit um, about the different logistical sensitivities and stuff that are out there because again you're not dealing in 
Arizona, Texas, California, you're in Ghana and in Turkey and in Iran and a bunch of places. So how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, there's one, there's two aspects here. The first is we allow any producer from any country to build a profile, right? So you mentioned those countries, we're not on the ground and active in Iran, let's say, sure, or, sure, sure. you know, but they're allowed to have a profile and they're allowed to connect if someone wants to connect with them as a buyer. But once we actually get into participating and facilitating trade, you know, where there's a buyer who wants a product, then we have to step into the most challenging part of our industry, I believe, which is logistics. 100% agree. How do you get product from A to B? <clears throat> dealing with customs brokers, FDA, USDA, all types of other issues, insurance, risk. And, you know, one strategy we have is through partnerships. So working with groups that, you know, provide these types of services that can plug into our ecosystem, plug into our transactions. And the other is we're taking it one transaction at a time. You know, we're actually getting our hands on the ground and working with producers in different jurisdictions to understand what are the challenges, what are the opportunities to actually figure out when there's a buyer that wants to buy, whether it's a container or a pallet of product, how do we get it from Sicily, Italy to California, or how do we get it from Chile to New York in a way that isn't relying on us becoming a broker? Right. Right. That's always our question is how do we, keep this kind of facilitator model where we're trying to bring together direct connectivity. We keep our commission as low as possible so that there's more direct connections and understanding where are those bottlenecks, where are those challenges, like right. risk, like insurance, like payment, like, you know, 30-day uh, net terms, you know, and how do we start to build in the software and the partnerships around the challenges to help you know, bridge the gap? Well, I think when you have a model that, you know, that is about transparency, you can get through some of the things you're facing when it comes to logistical stuff much easier because you're wearing your business on your sleeve. There's, you're not hiding anything, which I think is, fa you know, I think it's fascinating to take that approach, but I also think it's extremely commendable. One of the things I noticed in, um, you know, snooping around a little bit about producers market and, and, and I want to get into Storybird here in a second, but one of the things I thought was really, really cool is the amount of different certification, third-party certifications that you list with everybody. I mean, you got stuff on there. That I don't even know what the hell it is. There's stuff I didn't recognize, but I mean, you know, you've got obviously USDA, you've got um, Demeter, you've got all these different things up there. How important is as a global trader, because almost certification like that is almost like its own language. How important is it is third-party verification for a global trader? Yeah, it's required. You know, uh, depending on what market right on. you're trying to sell into, there's different rules and regulations. And one of the first questions uh, I was asking as a buyer is, hey, do you have global gap? You know, because my groups I was working with through my job uh, for the large distributor, you know, required global gap. So you want to know right away if the producer has it or not, because if they don't have it, it's going to take a little while to get it. For or sure. if they're organic certified, because a lot of groups say, oh, I'm organic. We don't use chemicals, but your market doesn't know the difference. They either see a cert or they don't. Right. right? And so 
you know, I, I give the credit really to our engineering team because they figured out the model where it's really easy for any producers creating a product to submit a certification that we don't already have listed. So, you know, the, the beauty of the, the internet and of crowds creating content is, you know, we're getting certifications and learning more and more what's uh, been achieved in terms of certifications and, and what uh, buyers are demanding and, and making sure to add it quickly. But we think certifications are critical right now. It's obvious, but we think the future is going to be looking like a, a model where, yes, there's certifications, but what's the information? Because if you have validated data, there's no chemicals used. Like we're, we're working with a group that does a wild harvested Brazil nuts from the Peruvian jungle, right? There's no chemicals. It's from the jungle. Right. But on the bag, it doesn't say organic certified. And you say, hey, why? It's like, well, we didn't want to pay the money. We don't have the money. We just have these Brazil nuts. So what if we could create a, a world in which you can communicate that it has the benefits of what we associate to organic? It doesn't use pesticides or herbicides. It wasn't you know, sprayed with any chemicals after harvesting. It's a natural product. But natural as a word has been so... Uh, let's just say like moved around and, and used loosely that it doesn't have meaning to consumers. But what if you right. can see this Brazil nut has these characteristics? Right. So to a consumer, they'll still pay the premium for an organic Brazil nut, even though organic Brazil nut, right? I'll be careful with how I use that word without knowing it's organic. So uh, there, there'll always be, in my opinion, consumers who want to see the certification and buyers as well. But I think we're going to move more and more into an age where it's the qualities and attributes that matters most rather than the certifications themselves. That's an interesting perspective. I think I, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it long term, but it, it's, it's potentially there. I mean, I think because certification is kind of been the ground rules we run under. I, I mean, I think people have just kind of become to expect that. Um, but I don't disagree with your premise about trying to uplift why. I mean, I think it's an interesting perspective when you say, look, they can't afford to get certified, right? Here's the reason why, and what does it take, and how can that happen? Who knows what comes to that? Maybe people get behind it, and we help uplift that brand to get certified. Um, I want to jump in a little bit, um, if we can, about Storybird, uh, because I think this is really, really cool technology and what you guys created. And and. And looking at it and, and getting my head wrapped around a little bit, you have a quote, uh, some information that you put up that says 86% of the U.S. consumers believe that transparency uh, is more important than ever. And what surprised me when I looked at it, it's like, okay, that makes some sense to me. That's, that's you know, it's kind of a, a big cloud statement. But then you drill down with another statement behind it that said 73% of the consumers are willing to pay more for product that they guarantee total transparency. And I think that's really key. Right. I think that's a really cool statement. So tell me a little bit about Storyboard or Storybird. Sorry, not board. Um, what is it and why is it important? Yeah, thank you. Um, so when I explained that value chain data model, where I was going with it is the final step. How do the right. consumers engage with the data? And that's what Storybird is. It's the consumer engagement tool where the brands who market to the consumers, whether it's on packaging, whether it's point of sale, whether it's restaurant menu, whether it's e-commerce, that when, where they engage with the consumer, 
let's give the consumers access to the data. Right. But it needs to be presented in a format that the consumers can work with. And so that's really the concept behind Storybird is it's the engagement tool. And it's meant to be a, a backend databasing content management system framework where we can work from the producer to the distributor and warehouse to the eventual you know, packer or brand or the group that interacts with the consumer to create the backend data model mixed in with the producer profile. So all the qualitative content that people love, the story, how it's right. grown, the farmers are, the photos, the videos, and, and start to actually create a virtual map and share the certifications and be able to actually click on each one and see what the certification actually means and look at the values that the brand says that they believe in and learn what those values are. And so Storybird is that combination of the qualitative and quantitative data, the qualitative being the story, the quantitative being the actual data of the value chain information, the, you know, the time, the date, the where, and seeing where the GPS moves across the map and working to build in a fun, interactive way for brands to present their value chains to the consumer. Because if, if a brand has done the work to know where their products are from, or they're the grower themselves, right? Which a lot mm-hmm. of uh, companies are too. Right. Why not differentiate on the market because you do that? Because there's a lot of groups out there who just go into a co-packer and couldn't tell you where their ingredients are from. It is what it is. But the groups who actually know where the ingredients are from, why not share that? Because that could be a major differentiation. So, so that's the idea behind Storybird. It's about presenting the data and information across the value chain to the end consumer. Right on. So you're using, I'm assuming, blockchain, right? Is that part of your process? Uh, yeah. So blockchain is optional. Okay. There's a can, version. Can you explain what blockchain is? Can we back just real quick? I mean, can you give everybody a, a third grade education on uh, on blockchain? Well, I, I think I need a third grade education as well. <laughs> as, anyone who's not an engineer who tells you they understand blockchain, I think it's uh, questionable. Um, but as I understand it, there's an immutable ledger, like an accounting ledger. Right. And you put information onto that ledger. And once it's there, it's immutable. You can't change it. So if it's a ledger where permission is given to view it, whoever has access to viewing it, or it's a public ledger, anyone can view it, then you can see the data transaction. So the way I see it used, there's obviously Bitcoin and how it's used for monetary transaction and such. But when we talk about supply chain traceability, um, the way it's being used is data points like the ones I described whether mm-hmm. it's monetary transaction or the provenance data, like where, when, who, that data around the harvest, the processing, the warehousing, and all the data surrounding it can be uploaded into a blockchain where that data now is public and immutable. And then a group like ourselves can pull from that data using an API so that we can then share the data from that ledger. Okay. So it doesn't ensure that the data that went in there wasn't garbage or wasn't right. made up. But what it does ensure is it's at least visible now. So number one, if someone's not being honest, they're being blatant about not being honest because they're really putting, putting it out there. 
Okay, so that's number one. Number two, there's more and more technologies coming out through sensors, through RFID tags, through IoT devices, right. through integrated reporting and AI and things like that, where data can be automatically uploaded, you know, put into the blockchain ledger and pulled from. So the way I see blockchain is it gives more visibility and more trust that the data being presented and reported is true. Okay, that's on the consumer right. marketing side. Um, there's also, you know, uh, multiple parties being able to access data in real time. There's food safety, tracing it back to the source, but we're really focused on, on the consumer marketing aspect of how blockchain integrates. And so we see it as like, we're scratching the surface. We're in the internet in the mid nineties right now. And so just being able to have it on that ledger, pulling from it, presenting it, it's a great step forward. It's way far from hundred percent trust to perfection, not even close, but it is a first step towards making data public and available and mutable and groups being able to pull from it to report and put it into different contexts for marketing and consumer purposes. As we integrate the monetary transactions, the cryptographic anchors and, and these things that are no tamper seal integrated with sensors and the RFID tags to track, there's gonna be a lot more innovation happening. You know, like, uh, you know, uh, soil tests going to the lab and the lab putting it directly on the blockchain, pulling from that, then it becomes really rich in the amount of data that can be used and pulled to create a trusted environment to the point where it's like, who's going to go through the extra work and cost to try to cheat a system like this? Right. You're better off selling it conventional, right? And so I, I think it's going to be a step-by-step. -step. It's not a silver bullet. It's mm -hmm. not going to you know, create a utopian society, but I think it's a step in the right direction for bringing in true you know, honesty, truth, and traceability to product origin, dates, you know, how product was handled, lab test results, things like that can be way right. more uh, transparent to the consumer. Well, that's a key word right there. You said it right at the end, transparency. And by the way, I'm going to give you, that was probably a fifth, sixth grade explanation, not the third grade one. That was pretty good. <laughs> that, that's as deep as I can go. You know, that's my, my background is not engineering. But we yeah. have some really, really great people on our team and advisors and such who, who are deep into this. And sure. our partners we work with, IBM Food Trust has been a, an amazing partner and they've been the pioneer in the space. We've done some work with a group called VChain that's done a lot of uh, excellent work in traceability. And, and we're learning and evolving each day and we see new, new technology coming out and we've, we're really excited about where it's going. So we just want to build the framework so that right. as the tech comes out, we can keep integrating. Right. Well, there's got to be a boatload of data that you have to constantly be updating. How do you manage all that? I mean, obviously you've got people, but I mean, that is like, it's gotta be overwhelming, I would think, as you're, especially as you're scaling. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Um, so there's different solutions. One is to take the simple data and update it with simple data that's basic on different shipments. The benefit of, let's say, we're working with a, a date producer in Jordan. The date producer, they have a harvest once a year and then they ship it one time. So you just need to track a few data points, you know, once per year on their main shipment until it gets right. to your soil. And then we can track it, how it goes out to consumers. 
But then we're working on another value chain with the leading uh, organic uh, banana distributor for into Europe. And, you know, they're harvesting bananas twice a week. Right. So now you have data entry twice a week going across value chains, multiple QR codes, multiple stickers. How do you manage it? You know, the solution is that we're looking at is how do you integrate into their existing data systems? Mm-hmm. So how do you pull from their ERP systems, their you know software around logistics and customer management, and how do we start to make a, a seamless integration of these data sources into a blockchain and pulled into our Storybird? So I think that's one way that we're looking at solving the, the complexities of needing to update data is by plugging into existing data capture systems. Um, the other is looking at building a network of third-party auditors who have smartphones, who can go in, register data, and, and be there on the ground to actually report and register and connect in and validate data. Right. That is, it's, the data has got to be amazing, but what you're learning from that and what you can pull out of that, I mean, long-term is going to be really huge, I would think. Something that I thought was really cool that you do is is with Storybird is that you have QR codes in some of your packaging to where people can zap it in the store. And the next thing you know, they're going through the Storybird system and getting this full litany of information about that particular, I don't know, let's say bag of coffee, um, where the grower is, what they're what they're about, um, you know, whether they're working with a fair wage, et cetera. That to me, I think is really, really cool. Is that something that you're leaning into in a big way now, utilizing QR technology on on actual consumer-based product? Yeah, um, absolutely. It's 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 exploded over the last few years. You know, in Asia, it's already been there for a while. The US right. it came in, it went away, and it came back. Now, if you you're shopping at Whole Foods and you want to uh, get your Prime discount, what do you do? Take out your QR code and have it have it buzzed in. And you look at produce, especially how many groups now, whether it's apple or cherries or lettuce, how many groups now have a little QR code. But the reality is most groups are using that QR code to send people to their website, right? Or send people to uh, a recipe, something like that. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity because that could be a dynamic, interactive way to engage with consumers. So- uh, we're really leaning into it. We feel like QR codes and in-store displays with QR codes, this is going to be a, a, a huge, huge opportunity for consumers to engage, for brands to find creative ways you know, to increase their real estate. Because there's only so much real estate to tell your story on a small package, but you scan that QR code and you can build a whole story around it. So yeah, I mean, we think that um, we already see there's some major retailers some major brands who are going into it. And uh, our feeling is that the QR code is going to be more than just sending you to a website, but it's going to be sending you to an interactive, engaging experience. And that consumers eventually will look to this QR code to know about where their product came from, when it was harvested, who the farmer is, and this type of information. I think that's super cool. With all the data that you're getting, right? And the data sometimes can be a very scary word. Um, you know, because we know that, you know, you have a conversation in your living room about a truck and all of a sudden you go to a social media page and you've got four advertisements for a truck, right? Somebody, somebody's listening. So data gets to be a little scary sometimes. Have you got any pushback 
on any aspects of trying to uplift that transparency um, and information sharing? Um, for sure. I mean, there's groups out there, for example, that they don't want uh, they they don't want people to know their source. Period, because uh, a lot of brands, a lot of distributors, a lot of brokers, you know, they uh, are concerned that if their source becomes visible, visible, their competitors are going to go for their source and try to take it away. So that's just the reality of the industry. We don't necessarily have a solution for that. Um, The other, you know, pushbacks are, hey, if if I have this product with full traceability, but my other ones don't have traceability, won't that raise questions to my consumers about what about the other six? Because I got that one. So I think there's some concern about how consumers are going to handle it because it is, you know, it is an unknown space right now. We're in a a new world with this kind of giving radical traceability, transparency to the source. Um, Very few brands have made it their kind of uh, mission from the onset. There's a very few brands who are already doing it. So it's new. And so with anything new, there's a lot of groups who are concerned with it. Um, In terms of the data itself, we aren't collecting data to then commercialize, to sell to the market or sell to someone. We're just looking at data as a very specific purpose, you know, that's there uh, and owned by our producers or owned by the brands, depending on which, you know, step, which step of the value chain it's coming from. Right. And uh, we get permission to collect and use the data for specific purposes. So for us, this isn't a, a big data play where, you know, some of the big tech companies have gotten some heat for collecting everything possible all the time everything. It and selling it. That's not what we do. Uh, that's not what we're interested in. So, you know, we think uh, giving people data sovereignty and data integrity is really important. So we're just trying to be transparent, just like our platform about how we want to use sure. data. For sure. No, I mean, I, I mean, if, look, if you're going to lean into a transparent model, you've got to be transparent all the way through. You just you can't have, you know, it's not a toe in the pool. You got to jump all the way in. Right. So I, I appreciate and I appreciate your honesty with that answer. Um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Um, and and if you can, can you share a few of your global success stories? Um, you know, some of your growers, a couple of them that, you know, you guys have been able to uplift. And because I think that would really resonate with people when you really get into put a kind of a face and an idea and a concept and a farmer behind what you guys are all about. Yeah. One of the programs that we've been building a lot of our, our technology and systems around is, is a organic almond grower in, in Sicily, Italy. And they have uh, Felice Almonte. He's a Felice Amante is a uh, almond grower there. And he works with, you know, 20, 30 plus of other small farmers in his area and he does his own processing and packing. And yet, you know, he wanted to reach the U.S. market directly without having to go through the normal channels. Uh, and, you know, simultaneously, we had a brand in our network that mm-hmm. does uh, almond milk, and they're all about knowing the source. That's like really important to them. So the first thing we did is we helped facilitate these connections and build real relationships, real human connectivity, and even friendships by bringing together through our platform, 
you know, a brand that commercializes nuts and nut milk and sells to consumers direct and through B2B channels right. with a farmer who was growing organic. And now we've, we've helped them even transition into regenerative organic, adding more practices to enhance the soil fertility and do more intercropping other things. But in this example, we've been able to not just make this direct connectivity, but then build in Storybird to that connection. Because the brand was like, well, now I have this amazing story. I got to share with my consumers. Right. And so then it just naturally uh, led to us building in our, you know, our Storybird into that value chain. So that now Felice, who has never gotten any credit, nor the farmers that are, he works with in his area in Sicily, mm-hmm. no one's ever known who they are or, or what they do or how they sell or how they grow, I should say. And now because of this tool, because of this connection, people who are drinking this almond milk around the United States are gonna know all about Felice and his, the other farmers there and their practices and what they do to enhance the soil and how they're responsible with water. You know, and, and this is a, a connectivity that's gonna happen from small farmers who can't speak English, who, who may or may not be connected to uh, smartphones and such. And then Felice, who's more of a businessman farmer. Uh, but now consumers in the U.S. are going to get that real authentic Sicilian experience and have a human connection. So, so that's one example we've, we've really dove into over the last you know, 12 months into building out to, to make that connection, that it's, it's really uh, uplifting and, and helping us a lot. And, and I think one more uh, example uh, and kind of uh, an emerging market setting uh-huh. is, is in India, in South India, in Andhra Pradesh, we're working with a movement of it's a million, close to a million small farmers registered in a network in India, all wow. of, and, and they're all going into uh, organic regenerative farming. So all locally sourced ingredients in terms of uh, their inputs and everything that they do is with no chemicals. And it's, it's really lifted up the communities. It's lowered uh, rates of disease. It's uh, brought more money into the farmers' pockets. And we're working with that uh, government organization and that movement to actually start to aggregate and connect these outputs into the proper volumes, proper certifications, so that they can now sell directly into larger distributors, retailers, and brands globally. And this is going to return a significant larger amount of money back to their pockets as to when they were just selling, growing conventionally and, and selling into the local market or traders and brokers. And now that they can aggregate together, sell through producers market, have Storybird traceability built in, and we can now market these products, you know, directly to, um, you know, buyers around the world is going to really uplift and enhance the lives of these farmers and encourage even more farmers in this region to move into these practices that will sure. help the community. Yeah, you know, and I think too, as a sidebar to what you're saying, I don't know necessarily if folks actually realize, you talk about a million farmers, right? A part of uh, of cooperative. But when you get into India and China is a lot of the same way, you might have five or six families working several acres of ground um, as a part of what their village is. So when you think about it, you know, a million farmers does not equate to a million acres. Um, so it's, it's, 
it's interesting the connectivity that that this farming, that this process, you know, raising food, supporting your village, trying to be something bigger, how that's so connected. Again, I can't speak to what you guys are doing there, but I'm sure that you have a lot of that exact same scenario. Yeah. In play. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and our role really isn't going down to each small farmer level, but how do right. we empower the aggregators, the cooperatives, they call them farmer producer organizations in India, they call them cooperatives in Latin America, right? right? How do we work with those groups to enhance their ability to finance by having markets downstream, help them market themselves better digitally and help them to create an added value offering so that on the ground where it is, you know, a family per quarter acre or one family per hectare or 1.5 hectares, how do they reach a global market and how do they get some of that benefit? Because downstream, you know, we're paying a good price, you know, at Whole Foods or at Safeway, like I mentioned, for those products, you know? So how do we help those small farmers get closer to the downstream? And how do we help the consumers feel good and feel uplifted and educate themselves around the people who grew their products and, and what that purchase did to enhance their lives. For sure. And really, and really create that direct, you know, human connection. I love that. You know what? It's pretty exciting to hear a million people looking at regenerative agriculture and organic farming and trying to make a difference, right? I think that's very cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. something that, that, that I'm really into is, is talking about the word inspiration. And, you know, this platform is, is really designed to try to help inspire people around people like yourselves making a difference out there that I feel that need to get, you know, uh, shouted from the highest mountain and try to make a change in our world. So tell me really quick and just shifting gears away from the business side of it, who's inspired you in your life? I mean, you have to find some inspiration in all this. You didn't wake up one day and go, boy, I'm going to go tackle the world today. Right. You've worked into it. So who's inspired you? Um, For first it's farmers. I mean, I've gotten the chance to be start a farming business, but then got to, go around the world and meet small farmers, mid farmers, large farmers. And man, the work they do is really tough. You know, so whenever I'm trying to get through my day, I got lots of emails and phone calls and fires to put out. I'm like, I know how rough a lot of the farmers have it, even even the lucky ones. Right. And and they inspire me. And I was doing a hike yesterday uh, or sorry, two days ago, Saturday. And there's a farmer who who's on that hike and they just told me to come in and show me their whole place, show me their system, how they grow their products, how they process it, and their passion, enthusiasm, and love that they have for what they do. It's really a celebration. And, and this kind of uh, misconception that's like, oh, poor farmers, struggling farmers. Certainly there are some out there that are struggling, but sure. a lot of the farmers I meet are happy and they are living it up and they love their lives, working the soil, you know, working with their community, growing food, eating their own food, you know, having the abundance to, to sell and share their food. So number one, first and foremost, I'd say it's farmers. Farmers are, are most definitely my inspiration every day. Um, and then, you know, my grandma, you know, she was a tough lady and, and showed me how to be an entrepreneur, how to be strong. So I got some family inspiration too, but I'd say day to day, it's it's my farmers. And then then of course it's it's the team I work with, just really great, dedicated, great people. So for sure. Well, I, I, I think all grandmas have like some ninja skill inside of them. I just believe that. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> mine certainly, certainly did. That's for sure. Yeah. I, 
I know mine sure did. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know when it was going to come out, but when the Ninja came out, you definitely knew it. Oh, so. oh yeah. There's a certain level of, of strength and toughness that my, my grandma, my grandma's uh, showed that, that keeps me, keeps me feeling like I can, I can do this. I can keep moving forward every day. That's awesome. Well, it's a great upbringing, right? I mean, you talk about what you guys are trying to do, uplift families and make things happen. It's all a part of that. You were uplifted when you were younger by your grandma. And now you're taking that runway, that path she gave you, and it's guiding you forward, which I think is super commendable. Um, yes. You know, and we're going to get totally off of the reservation a little bit today. Um, but I want to ask a couple of questions just to have some fun a little bit, get people to know you a little bit more. So let me ask you if you were to play a little TLC trivia here. Uh, and you're playing for big prizes. You're not, okay. you're not playing. You're not playing for shit, to be honest with you. But we'll pretend like you are. So, if you had okay. one thing you could bring to a deserted island, what would it be? Seeds. Whoa, I, that's a great answer. That's a really smart answer. Any particular well, seed that you couldn't live without? My my girlfriend first, then seeds. Because if she well, good, she hey, no, not, good backpedal, good backpedal. You scored. You're okay. You won't get in trouble for that. You came back strong. What seed, yeah. what seed would you take? What would be the most important one? Gosh. Um, probably, I would, assuming I would need food right away, probably some, some kale seeds. That could take you pretty far. There you go. All right. That's a good answer. All right. So if you can invite anybody to a dinner, dinner party, dead or alive, who would you take? Uh, dead or alive? I mean, dead or Jesus alive. Christ. I would love to have dinner with Jesus. That would be probably a pretty cool conversation to have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I take him. <laughs> I take him to dinner. People would think I was great if I brought Jesus to dinner. And would you pay? Um, yeah. You'd whip out the credit card for Jesus, wouldn't course. you? Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. So as a tech guy, right, is your calendar on your phone or is it on a piece of paper? Uh, I use a digital calendar, but all the notes I take are on paper. Yeah, you're same, same as me. I, ha I have the calendar because it's cool because it's on my phone and this and that, but it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm back to paper. Yeah. yeah. Old school. Old school. Yeah. My to-do list stays on paper. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, um, going back to the word inspiration, you are inspiring. What you're doing is inspiring. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've, I get to talk to a lot of people and I've talked to a lot of people in my lifetime. And um, I love the journey that you're on. I love the path that you're on. I love the fact that you gave us an opportunity to share it with people um, because I think you're on the right path. I think you're doing something that needs to be done and it needs to be celebrated. So I appreciate you hanging out with me a little bit today. And I have just one final question I want to throw at you. If you just had... 30 seconds to tell people about producers market or one thought to tell people about producers market, what would you let them know? Um, I let them know we're building a network of producers to help producers uh, lift up their livelihood, their dignity and help them make more money. And, you know, as we get further down the road and consumers have the opportunity to engage with us or our producers, we, we welcome that opportunity and we're excited to be in service. A great answer, my man. That's a great answer. Yeah. You know, Keith, I got to tell you, I, I truly do appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me today and yeah. to tell people out here in the global audience uh, 
what you guys are about. I think it's great. I hope everybody goes and checks out Producers Market. I hope they check out Storybird um, and get into it a little bit, go through the website and take a look where product's coming from. It's pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us, Todd, or having me, uh, and grateful to be here. And thanks for all the support and enthusiasm and, and really kind words. I mean, thank you. It's really, it's really been our team team effort. I'm just here, kind of, you know, uh, conducting sometimes. So appreciate the support. Absolutely. And uh, again, everybody, thanks for stopping by, Keith. I appreciate it. Producers Market, I appreciate you guys very much, and everybody, and give. Bridget, a high five for me too. And thank her for all her efforts and everything else. So Keith, I appreciate it. Everybody take care and we'll chat at you soon. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us a little bit, chatting with Producers Market. Uh, Keith and his team are doing some really cool stuff, certainly worthy of our time and energy to listen to. Um, I think anytime we can inspire and uplift, especially when it comes to producers and growers and families and villages and making change and talking about a million people in India looking at regenerative ag. Those are all things worthy of our time and energy. So do appreciate you stopping by. Uh, don't forget the video version is available on our YouTube channel as well as tlc.organic. Uh, we're on all the podcasting sites, Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, et cetera. Um, we're also on Instagram at TLC underscore Toddversations. We really appreciate you being here. If you want to come on and share your story, we want to talk to you. This is what it's about. It's about sharing and putting energy back into our food system. So reach out to us at info at uh, TLC. I don't even know what the hell the info. I don't even know what the, I don't even know what it is. Just find me, Todd at ToddLinsky.com. You'll find me. Go to TLC's website. You'll track us down. Whatever. We're here for you, and we appreciate you very much. Take care. Be good. And remember, go inspire somebody. It really is important. Talk soon. Bye-bye.